Welcome to Complementary Angles, the podcast where you can find out current events in mathematics and beyond. Hey everybody, so glad you're here. We'll start with some brief introductions. My name is Kelsey Johnson Lemadu, and I'm an instructional coach for early childhood math here at ESC Region 11. And my name is David Henson. I'm the secondary mathematics instructional content coach. That is six through 12 mathematics, not elementary. It's important for some people in the room. David really likes to make sure people know that he's secondary and not elementary, which is fine. He takes pride in I'm that. I'm secondary and not primary, yes, I understand that. <laughs> oh man. All right, well, I am so excited about our topic today because it applies to me with a couple of different hats as a parent and as an educator. So um, yeah, David, do you wanna like introduce what we're talking about today? We're gonna talk about purposeful play in mathematics how we use the power of play to increase engagement as well as learning for students of all ages. Yeah, so purposeful play shows up in so many ways um, from the time children are super, super young um, all the way up through high school, we would hope to see. Um, I thought we could just start by kind of um, really explaining and defining what play is and then we can get into some of the benefits and then how we see it in the classroom. Okay, so one great book, I'm holding it up for those on video, um, but a great book on purposeful play is just called Purposeful Play. It's got three different authors and I'm gonna read the definition straight from them because I know they did a ton of research for this. So something is play if you have chosen to do it, so the choice there, have the capacity to pretend and change as you go, and you enjoy it for the most part. So this does not mean, I love this part, this does not mean, however, that play is always nice or safe. In fact, children deliberately seek out uncertainty, both physical and emotional, in their play. So this play involves a certain amount of risk, really, and that's a safe way for them to learn how to navigate risks both physically and emotionally, which I think is a really key piece to hang on to because sometimes you may see students or young children playing in maybe a mean way or something that you don't expect, but it's really a way for them to explore those emotions that maybe they, don't, um, they haven't experienced yet fully in their real lives. So that's a little bit about what play is. Um, and then we can kind of, I've got some research up here just because it's, interesting to me and I thought you guys would find it interesting as well. Um, let's see, play is spontaneous, not scripted, and children become immersed in the moment. So there's also four different types of play and we can get into these. There's games with rules, okay, we, that's pretty self-explanatory. Fantasy play, so children pretending. Construction play, they're building or engineering something. And then the last one is rough and tumble or outdoor play. So that's gonna be using a lot of gross motor skills um, as they kind of use some of that physical demand. So David, how do you see these different types of play play out in secondary? Well, to be brutally honest with you, all of them. Okay. All of them. Um, when you look at the gifted and talented strategies for um, secondary um, mathematics specifically um, 
where we ask children to build using to build with their hands and to go outside and do activities that are outside where there's an element of choice or um, play games in the classroom. Um, it, it's all there. Everything that that we just that you just discussed from the lens of early childhood mm -hmm. is still there in mathematics if the teacher is willing to let it happen. Uh, for me in the classroom, I always used these types of strategies to drive engagement, to increase retention, to take scenarios that the kids would be presented with in, uh, for instance, word problems, and have them physically acted out. Uh, it drove home so much more context for all of them. Uh, the rough and tumble outdoor play, honestly, I'm just gonna take the rough and tumble out, out and say outdoors. If I can get my kids outside of the classroom they learned. They learned on the way there, they learned while they were there, and they learned on the way back. As a good teacher, I monitored to make sure that they weren't learning some bad things on the way there and back, but usually when we went there, we had some fun, whether it be going out and doing indirect measurement of trees using a shadow, or my personal favorite, kicking a soccer ball against a graduated background and measuring the flight path mm. using um, calculators. Now these are all outside things, it's, but it hits all those definitions you said. It's unscripted, there's an element of risk to it because they have to actually go and do it. Um, they, they learned because they experienced it. And I think that's the biggest part about play. If you look at all of game-based learning, it's based on experiential learning. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And not only are they doing all those different types of, you know, unscripted and really engaging with the content, but they're doing the math too, which I think that's key. Really high level math and using skills that we didn't really talk about to try to add into it. Because the one thing I loved about teenagers is that internal drive to always be right. Hmm. Um, so you will Just get teenagers? them to actually, yeah, well, um, <laughs> Difference, I was always been told the difference between ten, teenagers and kindergartners is an advanced vocabulary. Everything else is about the same. So yeah. getting kids to use all of their math, all of their vocabulary, all of their skills to drive home the fact that their opinion is correct is a powerful, powerful tool. Mm -hmm. And these are the things that games and play can bring out, that Absolutely. level of creativity. Absolutely. So um, in early childhood, oftentimes we say that play is the work of students because we know that that is how content really, really sticks. So have you ever visited a pre-K or kindergarten classroom? Yes, I did visit a kindergarten classroom. So sometimes I wondered this specifically because I visited one yesterday on a campus and you walked into a pre-K classroom and the classroom is almost always divided up into different play centers throughout the room, right? There's a kitchen station, there's a construction center, there's a pretend st station, and all these different centers are rooted in the pre-K guidelines, right? The pre-K standards. Um, but they're all based in play because that is what children do best when they are at that age and they really can push their learning forward um, in new ways. Even if you think about the example of English um, language learners, right? Students who are still acquiring English, play is a great time for them to have some of that language um, enrichment with their peers as they go through and they don't even realize they're working on their language, but they are. Well, see, the thing that cracks me about secondary is I never have kids quit playing hmm. like they would quit 
worksheets or quit a test. Oh, right. Like it's like they don't want to There's stop. no rage quit yes. there. There's, they're, level, they're willing to suspend frustration. It's almost an expectation to be slightly frustrated to, to, in order to maximize and get, and get better at whatever skill it is. And they take direction from others way better in that type of thing. Um, I do know in secondary, we tend to also get a little more competitive which is that risk factor mm -hmm. um, that, that you were talking about in the list of things for play. And where um, that's where things like quizzes and Kahoot and virtual games like that really drive home the desire to get kids going um, and just learning. Um, it's, it's more fun as a teacher because I get to see that level of creativity and strategy involved. Yes, absolutely. And if we think about, okay, how do we kind of embed play in our classrooms? I think there's a pretty wide continuum of what this can look like. And there's a certain zone that we want to stay in so that it's not just absolute chaos, right? So it can go from anywhere from like the teacher is not very involved or gives very little boundaries. That I think would lead to quite a bit of chaos with little boundaries and just kind of letting kids do what they please. But then there's this zone that we really like to stay in, which is classroom rich environment that has child initiated play. And then there's a playful classroom with focused learning. So that's a little bit more teacher instruction. And then off to the other extreme is a really highly structured, um, rigid classroom without much play involved in any content-based or just for fun. Um, I feel like I mostly see some of those playful classrooms with some focused learning, and then I do see the highly structured classroom quite a bit. Um, I think I, I'm, because of time constraints and just different pressures that teachers have, um, that's where a lot of them end up landing. And to be honest with you, for us in secondary, where we have a lot of time constraints and a lot of standards that are thrown at us to um, prepare students for, um, the concept of an of an amorphous playtime where the kids can, can choose and do oh, that right. would be very stressful to some of the teachers and, um, and also some of the administrators that walk in. So things like choice boards or online games platforms like mm -hmm. Desmos Activity Builder are great ways to incorporate elements of play and choice mm -hmm. into the classroom without taking time away from that pressure. But as far as um, research sta states, if you want students to retain it, you're going to have to let them use it. And there mm -hmm. isn't a worksheet in the world that'll help drive retention better than kids having a chance to play and manipulate the mathematics. Well, and we feel that as adults too. Right? How often do we sit in a meeting or our own professional development and something's just not sticking, but maybe we don't have a visual or we don't have a way to engage in it or we're not able to talk about it and people are just sharing information versus when we do have a chance to network about a new idea or brainstorm together, that might be our adult version of play because we're able to kind of use those cognitive muscles in a new way, or and it even, sticks with us Or so even feeling empowered to offer a suggestion. Yes, yes. To have an opinion about it and then voice your opinion and let, let that be used, either either used as as a director or or at least admit, uh, admonished and saying, yes, I, I hear what you're saying, but it won't work because. Mm -hmm. um, 
play gives kids power to control their learning. Yeah. We, we drive our kids to want to own their learning, but we never give them the tools to own it. Mm. So incorporating features of play. Uh, some teachers would, well, they just don't feel comfortable that way, but you can incorporate some of the features. Choice, you can incorporate open-endedness, you can incorporate risk, and not just fail the test, but risk of like, if you don't accomplish this and you can't go to the next, th get to the next thing. Mm -hmm. So um, th game-based learning, um, uh, what's those what's those rooms, the breakout rooms? Oh, like the escape rooms. Escape rooms, yeah. they, have the, they have the escape rooms for math, which really is play because it's a game-based system, but it really drives instruction because the kids have to be creative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Definitely. So uh, David and I clearly are both proponents of purposeful play, whether we're looking at our youngest learners or our oldest learners across pre-K through 12. But if you are not really on board or you're not really sure kind of like why, play, I wanted to share some of the benefits of play. So there's four different areas that these go over in research, and um, I'll just review some of them. And if you have any kind of, um, you know, touch points like that resonates with you, just let me know. Yes, ma'am. So um, physical development, right? So when students are playing, they are working on both their fine and their larger gross motor skills. They're working on stress management because we know sometimes whenever we're able to use our bodies, we can actually get some of that stress out. Um, coordination, physical confidence, and agility. So that's just some of the physical benefits of play. When we're thinking about cognitive development, play can help students with scientific and mathematical thinking because if they're trying to build something, definitely I see that a lot, right? Trying to build a tower or um, when it, we're thinking about like manipulatives or something like that, lots of mathematical thinking going on there. Uh, research and inquiry skills. To play, you have to kind of think up a story in your mind as you go. Independent thinking and then language and literacy skills. So all of those are naturally embedded when students play. And then the last two are social development and emotional development. And um, I know social and emotional health is something that's really on a lot of people's minds right now. And when we're thinking about play socially, play can help students learn more about negotiation, collaboration, forming rules, conflict resolution, just cooperating with each other as long as teachers don't jump in and try to solve each and every little problem, right? They have to rescue somebody. <laughs> but like stay back and really observe and watch what happens because we want to jump in and we want to solve the problems, but part of that is the productive struggle that they need through play that we see. And, and to be honest with you, I'm looking at all of these, the cognitive development and the physical development, especially uh, uh, emotional release and stress, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, social development and emotional, uh, they're all intertwined. Absolutely. Um, especially nowadays. Like, we've just got done with a period in education where we had to teach online all the time. And the biggest factor that I hear from every teacher, they won't engage. Mm. They, won't, they won't talk to me. They leave the camera off. Uh, it's just all of these things. No one has to tell a child to log online to, to game online. Oh, right, yeah. Because there's a because all the elements are there. I'm gonna go play. If I could take half of the grit of an online gamer and put that into a kid for math, 
they would they they would be amazing. Absolutely. And I wouldn't I would have the best scores. Oh, the Sorry. best. Secondary. Um, the final benefit of play under emotional development, it's joyful, right? That's a real thing that I want to embed and infuse in our classrooms. Um, students are able to build empathy, resilience, some self-regulation and self-confidence, and then also impulse control, which we know is really um, important and critical for students to practice um, in the classroom as many opportunities as they can. Um, so I hope that this discussion on purposeful play, purposeful play gave you a little bit more understanding about the research behind what play is, the benefits of it, and how you can incorporate it in your classroom. Um, but really, I hope this is also just the start of the conversation. I would love to hear how you guys out there are incorporating different types of play in your classroom, no matter what grade level you teach. All right, so David, what do you think our R11 math challenge should be this week? What do you think we could come up with to help you with a concept or content that would need to have a play element put in? Like for me, I love any type of physical thrown activity for quadratics. Love them. Um, if I'm trying to do any type of lines or linear um, things for trend lines, stock market game is awesome. Fantastic. All right, well, thanks, guys. We'll see you later. Talk to you on the next episode of Complimentary Angles. Oh, <laughs>